When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 5. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Woodstock, New Brunswick. Well, greetings from Woodstock, New Brunswick. Down south in Woodstock. And up north in, no, yeah, you are up north. Up north in uh, Seattle, Washington, we have Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? All righty. Going good. Thanks for asking. All righty. Um, yeah, so we have, I, just, I, I don't know if I'd listened to the entire episode. I probably did several times, but uh, last time we were on, we were talking about Black Widow and uh, other things on the show. And uh, we were talking about Scarlett Johansson, who happens to be married to Colin Jost from Saturday Night Live. I think he's a head writer there, or one of the, one of the two head writers. But um, interesting little factoid. We, I think we joked about, or we mentioned him, them on the show, but apparently he refused to run lines with his wife, Scarlett Johansson, because he didn't want to be spoiled by the movie. How's that? Sounds sensible to me. <laughs> yeah, well, though, from a, um, a BATNA analysis, so that BATNA is the acronym for best alternative to negotiated agreement. Um, you know, Colin Jones, you know, pretty decent looking guy, but um, it's Scarlett Johansson, bro. Like, <laughs> she wants you to do the dishes, you do the dishes. She wants you to run lines, you run the lines, because, you know, I, I wish them well in their marriage, but should they separate them? Like, who's going to end up in a better situation? It's like, I, I think he will have a difficult time ascending this mountain again <laughs> yeah know? yeah colin jost is, go- is done well by the snl money but it's not quite marvel money and That's also true. it's scarlett johansson yeah exactly yeah. it's like you're not brad pitt bro like <laughs> there's no backups for you that are are gonna meet this high so you know yeah fire some flowers i believe she's pregnant now right now with his uh with his baby oh there you go see he had it all planned out and he was like yeah. <laughs> locking him in yeah Right, right. For what good that does. All righty. Uh, let's let's dig into the headlines. So do 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 do. We have Jaime going up bat first with HBO. Yeah, and these two, I'm going to kind of merge into one story here because the first one, I think they're related. So the first one is HBO Max will release ten Warner Brothers films straight to streaming in 2022. So for those of you who 
don't remember what happened for 2021 because of the pandemic. Warner Brothers said, you know what? We don't know what's going to actually release to theaters. So let's just go all in on streaming for the 2021 calendar year and say everything is going to be for sure on streaming same day if it releases in theaters or it might be just streaming only, right? That's how they sort of navigated the waters. The question was, what are they going to do in 2022? You know, hopefully things start opening up again properly as the pandemic hopefully starts winding down is the thinking. So they're saying here they're going to release 10 films straight to streaming. However, they don't specify which ones those are. And it could be because the next story linked to this is AMC movie theaters and Warner Brothers have agreed to take movies exclusive to theaters for 45 days. So will not be simultaneous releases, or at least some of these. The question becomes, wait, how do these two stories work together? And I think your marquee titles are probably going to be exclusive to theaters for 45 days in 2022. And then your sort of lesser known or, or less likely to be big budget sort of movies probably end up on HBO Max for that uh, 10 films. That's that's how I think it'll work out. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to have I mean I don't I don't think we're talking about Batman and, you know, big big blockbuster films here. I think we're talking, you know, those ones are going to be in the theaters cuz that's where the money's really made at this point. Hmm. Yeah. So do you know, Jonathan, if the theater in Woodstock is open right now? or I do not know if it's here, although Woodstock, uh, or Woodstock, New Brunswick writ large, uh, they've already lifted like indoor mask mandates and everything else, so I don't see why anything, like so far nothing is closed. Like really? everything wow. is available. You can go you can go into a lot of places without a mask on. Some businesses have chosen to still do it, but across the province there's no rule that says you have to wear a mask in places. It's it's feeling very American here. It's interesting. <laughs> we still, uh, for what it's worth, we my yeah. uh, direct family are, are still wearing masks when we when we uh, go out. Sure. But yeah, it's it's definitely a lot looser here than it is in the in the Toronto area for sure. Yeah, and uh, the whole misconception about wearing masks, you know, not it's not to protect you. It's like it's like you're allowed to walk around with the safety off on your gun. It's basically what you're saying, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, oops, sorry, I shot you. Didn't mean to do that. Um, yeah. I appreciate the translation there for the American audience. <laughs> so we can a understand safety it. is an important feature on a gun that you may not know about American fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an option, you, you know, it's like it's like indicators when you're turning lanes, right? You don't have to use them. There's no law that says you have to. And it doesn't you know, impinge on your freedom to use them either as well. So. I, I, I wanted to pick up this story as well, just quickly, Jaime. I wanted to ask you, so the... This story made me wonder uh, two things. One, I wanted to ask you. So is Suicide Squad available to you on HBO Max now? Yes, I saw it. Uh, maybe not same day, but I definitely saw it that weekend that it came out. Yeah, because here, here it seems to be exclusive to the movie theaters because I haven't seen it show up on any of my platforms to, to stream. Maybe I'm not looking the right spot, but I haven't seen it available. And that's the sort of first time I think I've seen that happen. And beyond that, I was thinking about um, Shang-Chi, which is opening in three weeks. The situation in, you know, New Brunswick might be bright and rosy right now because it's, you know, it's pretty optimistic. But back in the Toronto area, there's, you know, been a sort of a climb in Delta variant cases. And I wonder if Disney Marvel hasn't said anything yet about doing a same-day Disney Plus release. They say it's an exclusive to theaters, but I wonder if we're going to see that that move as we start talking about these, you know, whether or not the day and date 
TV, you know, purchase streaming, uh, whether it's free on something like, you know, your subscription to HBO Max or whether you pay the $30 premium on, on Disney Plus. Uh, I wonder if we're going to hear news about that in the next week or two. Yeah, that's a good point because I think the Suicide Squad's box office was pretty disappointing, but my, my guess is, you know, that's not based on quality. That's based on, is it the sort of film that you're willing to go brave the world uh, such as it is for? And I think Black Widow did actually pretty good with that, with that respect. It's kind of a marquee title. Yeah. The Suicide Squad, I don't know that it has quite the the brand cachet of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. And it's, um, you know, they're kind of a weirdo property. This isn't Batman. This isn't Superman or Wonder Woman kind of thing. Yeah, I just double checked on uh, Apple uh, to see if the iTunes store had it. It's not available here in Canada to to stream the Suicide mm. Squad. So unless it's available through some other service that I'm not aware of, I, I think your choices are go to the theater or don't watch it, which is, is disappointing. I got to be honest. I mean, I, I obviously, Jaime, I hope we'll get a little bit of a, a teaser review from you later in, in the episode. But I was looking forward to see it. I think James Gunn is an interesting filmmaker. I thought, you know, the fact that they were, you know, adding all these characters and stuff, it looks like an interesting movie. I'd watch it. I, you know, I might even pay 30 bucks for it to watch it at home, you know, especially because I can watch it with the. Uh, with my son it's disappointing that you know even though things are you know obviously loosening up a little bit that that they made the decision not to make it available hmm. all right well, let's move on to the doctor news yeah so two stories here that are also kind of tied at the hip so um we learned that doctor who's 13th season is a single story so i guess it's going to be a little bit more serialized and less um less episodic with an, an overall arc is my understanding um it's not a lot of detail here. I don't know if it's going to be like, uh, you know, what if it's like 24? <laughs> There's 13 hours of the doctor has to, to take care of things. I don't know. That's just my speculation. Um, but we also know that uh, this will be the final season with Jodie Whittaker as a doctor. So the showrunner, Chris Chibnall, is moving on as well. It's And he had a, a really short run. I think there was a, sort of a, a thought that he might be sort of... For years. Yeah. Yeah. I, thought, I think that people thought maybe he'd be, you know, in, in it for the long run, uh, like, like the previous uh, showrunner. But no, it's it's a, a complete turnover again. Yeah. Well, I, I think we knew about Jodie Whittaker. We talked about that previously, that this is, this is the, the one thing. But... But it's interesting that uh, they're going to try the one storyline arc on the on the Doctor. Um, kind of wonder how that will play out because most most Doctor who like Star Trek, like the Star Trek the original series, anyway, or Star Trek any TNG, I guess, have always sort of been like one, you know, nicely tied up in a bow by the end of the episode, right? Occasionally, you get two parters. Well, there was the the one season of Matt Smith where they they. Um, sorry, Jaime, but they they bookmark it with the sort of the somebody kills the doctor and then and then who is it mystery that sort of runs through the whole season and then it gets opened up it gets finished up at the end of the season. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't the entire arc of this like it was it was the overarching arc of the season, but it wasn't the every episode was necessarily strictly tied to that mystery. But it, it did sort of bookend the season and it was sort of the underlying well how did that happen kind of mystery, right? True, yeah, I forgot about that one with with the, with the astronaut and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Cool. yeah. That was, I think it was Matt Smith's last season too, right? Wasn't it? I can't remember. Was, I think maybe it was the, his last, but one. I think there was. I think there was maybe one more after that. Oh, like penultimate yeah, season. Then you penultimate season. Yeah, that's right. The yeah, last, but uh, one's upper. Yeah, and then the um, what's the other one? Uh, 
I also like the way they did they dealt with Clara or I wasn't sure if it was Clara or the TARDIS at the end with uh Capaldi, right? Where she ends up in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her memory. But is that is that her, the TARDIS manifested or forget? Yeah, again I can't remember. It's been quite a while. Well, because she's wearing like she's wearing she's like the waitress, but she's wearing a blue dress with white, you know, accents on it. Mm. Meant to be the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, all right, let's not spoil any more Doctor Who for Jaime and uh, <laughs> carry on. Oh, look, it's Jaime again. Yeah, so we got the the latest trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, which looks Wait, like... which a, Ghostbusters is this? So this would be the third, if you follow the 1984 timeline. Okay, so it's um, Bancor and... No, it's so the idea is it's pick up from that storyline. So it's, it's you're not really supposed to include the the uh, Kristen Wig. Yeah, no, I mean, but it's, but it's it's like, is it is it the old guys come back and well, you know, I may I think maybe we'll get into guys. that with us. Yeah, right. yes, ish. So the the basic concept that we know now is that um, you know the original Ghostbusters are presumably uh, long retired. Uh, Harold Ramis's Egon Spengler character has uh, has died. And we know that he has grandchildren. And in this trailer, we learned that uh, his uh, wife, or at least the uh, the the mother of the you know of the children, is uh, Janine from the original Ghostbuster series, because she makes an appearance in this trailer. Uh, and the grandkids discover, um, you know, something bad. Oh, the gear, I guess. Yeah, yeah, all the gear and stuff. They accidentally unleash some stuff uh, from their uh, their house out in the middle of like the the cornfields sort of thing um so i recommend watching the trailer we also get a hint of uh dan Aykroyd's uh ray stanza character who answers the phone yeah yeah answers the the phone for his uh, occult books store as uh, as he had in the the original series Hmm. i was also uh a little bit spoiled and so therefore i will pass on the little bit of spoiling to you two which was that um there was some toy news that came out last week and it included uh some of the action figures from the new movie and uh three of the action figures are definitely three characters you'll remember from the first movie right hmm yeah, right. so it, the trailer is interesting because it feels sort of like a mix of um, Ghostbusters 1984 and The Goonies, which I guess if you put those two movies together, you probably end up with Stranger Things, which kind of makes sense given that Flint <laughs> Wolfhard, yeah, who, yeah. who's in that series, is also in this movie. So hopefully it's a fun tone. Well, and it's, and it's a legacy thing, too, because it's Jason Reitman doing uh, the, the property based on, that was co-created by Ivan Reitman, his dad, right? Right, yeah. Ivan Reitman, not a Canadian. Yes, just another, another Torontonian. Um, yeah, so, Jaime, you're off to the next one. Yes, yeah, sp- speaking of legacy, so uh, the Hawkeye show coming out on Disney Plus gets a November 24th release date. That's where uh, Hawkeye is apparently going to be you know, training up his daughter um, in some capacity to, to be heroic. So, mark your calendars. November 24th. Did he become sort of some ninja guy at some point? Or something different? Yeah, so... In Endgame, in, right? In Endgame, he was... He had taken on 
and sort of a different character from the comic books. The character's name is Ronan, and that uniform that he was wearing where he's sort of using the sword and he has the big fight with the Yakuza in, in Japan when, when Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow goes and finds him. Uh, so I wonder if this is a real sort of passing the torch kind of kind of series where he realizes he's, he's no longer Hawkeye and he's giving up the name, giving it to, to someone else. And, you know, that's something that, that definitely happened in the comic books. Speaking of release dates, I've, I've got one here. Uh, so the Lord of the Rings series that's being produced for Amazon Prime has actually got a release date now. We know we're going to be getting what? it. <laughs> we know we're going to be getting it in September 2022. So still another year away. Uh, but apparently they've, uh, yeah, they've, they've actually committed to a timeline again. They can obviously bump that. But interesting. It'll be interesting to see... Uh, see how they do that adapted for television obviously not quite the big budget that that's uh, peter jackson had for his films but right. um they also announced this week and just a little side uh addition to this one that they are moving the production out of new zealand and to england where england england oh really mm-hmm. hmm. so it'll be interesting to see what comes of that if it uh you know if they're just gonna be doing all you know cgi new zealand backgrounds or what they've got in mind but yeah an interesting move that they decided to pull it out and move it there uh next up we've got uh, an interesting story speaking of uh, scarlett johansson and disney plus so scarlett johansson is suing disney over the black widow release that came on disney plus so we've obviously this has been a topic we've covered a little bit on this show, which is that, you know, as these these giant production companies like Disney have decided to move their properties onto the streaming services as opposed to actually releasing them just in the theaters, it certainly affects the bottom line. We talked about it with Wonder Woman uh, 1985. What's it was called? Wonder Woman 1984. 84? Okay. Wonder Woman 1984, uh, they apparently negotiated new deals for Gal Gadot and for, um, for the director, uh, Patty Jenkins, because they were supposed to get a piece of the back-end uh, release of it, and obviously that wasn't going to happen during COVID, but they wanted to get the movie out, so they basically gave them you know several million dollars a piece in order to make good on that. Well, apparently they... Disney did not apparently choose that route with Scarlett Johansson, so what they've done is put it out in theaters in small small amounts around the world, as is available during the pandemic, and then they put it out over Disney+. And there is no part of the contract that says anything about you know, Disney plus, you know, kicking some of that money back to, to Scarlett Johansson. She was supposed to get a piece of the box office. If it doesn't go into the box office, she's missing out on potentially millions and millions of dollars in, in revenue. So, uh, she's taking the stand that, you know, she's going to sue and try and get her money. It's an interesting case because obviously this is, you know, we're talking about something that could be a model going forward. Obviously, it's something we've talked about on the show, whether or not, you know, these say, day and date uh, releases are going to happen. Obviously, going forward, they can work that into the contract, but they're still dealing with the, the, the ramifications of signing all these contracts for all these, you know, big name Hollywood stars prior to the pandemic. So uh, it's going to keep playing out like this it's particularly notable that she isn't suing you know marvel or marvel studios she's suing disney so you know she's she's taking a stand but it's also you know when you take the point of your career now you could make the case that black widow uh the film that that just came out is you know her last turn
Laverne in the Marvel Universe, although, you know, obviously you could write her in in different ways. In a, in a, mm-hmm. in a comic book world, obviously any character is fair game. Nobody's really dead forever. There's lots of different things they can do, but if you're biting the hand that feeds you, if you're suing Disney, you'd have to think that burns a bridge or two, too. So it's, it, it's an interesting story, a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess, you know, on one hand, you're like, hey, doesn't she understand there's a pandemic? But then again, I guess the deal was sort of inked before all this happened. And um... Well, and it's it's ugly, too, because, again, not only did, did Disney slash Marvel Studios wait until this point to give her her own starring film, right, which, yeah. you know, some might say is a little overdue, but then... Obviously, this is the same kind of participation deal that they gave to, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and to Chris Hemsworth and to, you know, Chris Evans. So all of her co-workers, all of her co-stars have already had that big bite of the apple and have made, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. apparently made monstrous, like he got paid a, a good salary to be in the movies, but a monstrous amount of the back end on some of these movies, you know, theoretically hundreds of millions of dollars on some of them. Right, right. Whereas, you know, now she's basically got her, finally, after all this time, got her turn and isn't going to get what she's owed after all her participation and after all, you know, that her their character has brought to that to that mix of movies. It's, it's It leaves a bit of a taste. And you're right, Tim, I think having... Uh, you know, a, a probably very wealthy performer complaining about not getting paid well enough during a global pandemic because the movie was wasn't released properly because of the of the pandemic. The optics are a little bad, but I do kind of feel also kind of sorry for her, even though it does kind of have a little bit of a you know I'm I'm a spoiled rich person fighting for more. I still think she's got a a real good point. No, for sure. I mean, like, definitely, you know, the, there's the whole, always the, the the glass ceiling aspect of everything and, you know, um, what's fair is fair and all that stuff, right? Like, I mean, the plan was and, and the deal, the contract she made was, was not considered, like, there was no pandemic when she made the contract, right? And started filming and things like that, right? So, and then the the pandemic just caused delays and and also caused the the way the change in the way it was distributed to to us fans when I mean, we waited like you know it it was been in the can for over a year before we got to see it right so um that you know all that kind of unforeseen stuff happens you know but you have to i mean again like there's also there should also be insurances on the contract and that kind of stuff so she doesn't have to sue them to get the money you know but there you go you know what can you do? What was that thing you talked about? I'm BAFTA or something like that earlier, I mean, <laughs> about negotiations and stuff. BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, Best Alternative to Negotiate Agreement, which is an interesting one to look here where Disney's side, I would say, we're like, well, this character's dead. We brought her back for one last go around. Yeah. Uh, we kind of don't need this actress anymore, right? Uh, very easy to, to, to write without her coming back. From her side, it might be kind of the same thing of like burn a bridge of like, my character's dead. I can't go any further. Um, I kind of need to get the money while I can. And these guys owe me. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. I mean, she, she's now like from a, from a practical point of view, they're not going to bring her back unless they reincarnate or do a, 
a pre-log pre or what do you call those, a prologue kind of thing. What do you call it when they do a... a oh, prequel. Yeah, prequel I, I think, kind of deal. you know, yeah. again, in, in a world where you can is, do the right? what-if TV show and you can do, you know, all these different, you know, multiverses and everything else again, anything's fair game, but that was yeah. also to say they don't have to do anything. They can write right. you dead if they want to, and they could recast you if they want to. It's just, again, all of it seems a little distasteful. It's it's just, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting that she chose Disney as the vehicle to, to sue, right? Go for the big guys, I guess. Um, all right, where are we in the list of stories? Blue Beetle, what? Yeah, so uh, Kurbukai star, uh, I think it's pronounced Solo, Mariduena. He's the uh, Miguel character from Cobra Kai, is cast as the Blue Beetle in an upcoming HBO Max film. So this is the, I believe, the Blue Beetle that is a more recent iteration of it, where just like... A, with with whom you share a, a name. It, it, it's scary how close this character is meant to be me. This is why I, I like zeroed in on this. So the character's name is Jaime Reyes, so, so really close, you know, that's like 50-50 uh, <laughs> connection. But the scary connection is... He lives or is from El Paso, Texas, which is my hometown. Hmm. I was like, man, this character is meant to be me. If they give him high hair, I consider putting a suit in. Just saying. (laughs) Right? Maybe they should cast me as like old man beetle, you know, for the future or something. Or if he throws a blue steel look, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Have you guys watched Cobra Kai? I, I don't. I must admit, it's been on my to do list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm up to speed uh, all the way through season three, and uh, season four is coming out soonish. And I, and I know it's all that. Is he a good somewhere. performer? Do you see him as a good fit? I think he'd be a good fit because the the Blue Beetle character that I've I've lost track of the iterations because DC did a lot of um, uh, universe changing stuff yeah, with their new the 52 and etc and everything yeah so absolutely. kind of mentally i'm thinking like well this is kind of like a a, a spider-man analogy yeah. right it's, yep. it's a teenage character who gets great power and now has great responsibility and does stuff that's cool right um it, it feels like a younger character i'm like yeah i could totally see this guy as being like a, a tom hollandish uh tom holland ish kind of uh of actor for this choice how uh, for, i'm curious from your perspective obviously as a, as a latino man i wonder like how important is it I, I see these pushes starting to happen i see more and more that you know obviously they're casting you know beyond the you know overdone you know caucasian stereotypes you know do you think that this resonates uh, you know in your community in the same way that you know something like black uh, black panther obviously or some of those other things that were sort of good touchstones we're seeing more female-led superhero movies we're seeing you know obviously they're trying to diversify we're seeing shang chi we're seeing black panther do you think that there's a, a possibility that this resonates that way oh that's interesting um i don't know i mean it's they don't even have a picture here of like, it's just like a picture of him from Cobra Kai. Mm. And uh, down below is, is a screenshot of, uh, of one of the comic book characters. So there's not even like a teaser here. It's, it's so early. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that it will. I'm hoping that people will latch onto it the way that they latched onto uh, to Black Panther. I'm not going to say it's going to be quite as successful as that because it's really hard to match. But the representation is important, right? I'm glad that they didn't, um, you know, whitewash the character, as is uh, commonly said. Yeah, it does seem like there's a been a minor tipping point. Like, even you would say, like, obviously, Black Panther is just a great movie, but it did feel like a bit of a turning point of, you know, hey, maybe if we make these well, they're for everybody, but they, we can make sure that it's 
you know, really valuable to a community that's underserviced. Yeah. All right. That's it. More to, more to come in the future. I look forward to seeing a, a teaser poster or a teaser trailer, shaky uh, Instagram or Twitter video. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, you know what? Follow this guy on on his socials because I bet you he'll be uh, he'll be you know I, I do find young performers can be really fun with their socials when they're when they're making these things too. Mm-hmm, you know, they mm-hmm. throw you a little teaser where they like show you the gloves, they show you the boots, they show you, and they just sort of leak out little teasers and stuff. Next up is a pretty easy one, and and I think is a no-brainer, but good news that uh, as we come to the end of season one of Star Wars The Bad Batch, the Disney Plus series that, uh, that sort of continues the story of the Clone Wars uh, after the events of Revenge of the Sith is getting a second season, I, I think, you know... Disney obviously had a long game on this one, you know, lots of merchandising opportunities and everything else. They they weren't going to end it after one season, but really nice to know that it's definitely coming back and and that it's coming probably next year. Um, And hopefully a little later in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about season one. Yeah, I'm excited to see this come along. This was something that I, I followed along during the season. Yeah, it's a good show. Next up, we've got another uh, another renewal, but not just one season, seven more seasons of South Park. What? So the folks at Paramount uh, apparently decided that they really needed to have some... Uh, some more some more South Park in their lives. So they have signed Matt and Trey for another seven seasons. Plus, they've also added in uh, a rather ridiculous amount of movies as well as part of this contract that they signed. Now, the money is a little misleading because it says that they got $900 million for six more years. But part of that is the production costs. So... Uh, you know, it's not like they're taking, you know, $900 million and putting it in their pockets, although I imagine the money they're making is pretty sick. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, and they're not cutting out paper figures anymore like they did no, the first No, they're a well-oiled series. machine. Yeah. But, yeah, interesting. So they're they're producing South Park now through season 30, so that's uh, up until 2027 at least they're going to do. They're producing... 14 movies for Paramount Plus based on South Park. How many how many seasons has South Park been doing already? So this is six more, so it's about to be season 24 this fall. Hmm, wow. That's a long time. It is, and then you consider that The Simpsons has been around already for 30-plus seasons, and you think, right, okay, right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and Google says doing... 32, um, assuming that's roughly accurate. You said South Park was 24. That, that feels about right, that, that time gap between 32 and 24. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it, almost at this point, it, it seems like it's a, a game or a dare or something. Obviously, there's more more episodes of Simpsons because they did more episodes per season than, than South Park has. But it is becoming a bit of a of a staring contest for these two shows, too, as to who's going to keep going. Now, that being said, I have watched every episode of South Park ever, really? and I will probably watch every episode that they continue to make. I stopped watching The Simpsons over a decade ago, and I don't have huge intentions to go back and watch those. So, you know, that obviously could just have to do with my uh, tastes changing over time, my age in life, all those different circumstances. But um, it's interesting that, you know, that, you know, they say this about the animation stuff, obviously. It just keep going, keep going, keep going, especially, you know, if the voice actors are, are satisfied or if you feel like you can find somebody else to do the voices of these
these things going forward, you can just keep pranking them out, right? Right. Yeah. Well, they're still doing, you know, Looney Tunes and and uh, we still have Muppet things coming out from time to time, even though the, those voice actors are long gone, right? So. Well, and the characters don't age on the shows unless you want them to, sure. and you can, you know, sure. just keep keep cranking them out. Alrighty. Yep. Next up, Why the Last Man. So this is a show that's sort of was on again, off again. They weren't sure if they were going to make it. Well, they've made it. So they, we got our first trailer, our first actual look at Why the Last Man, a series that's coming to uh, FX, and it looks really kind of good. It looks very much uh, like the comic book in its feel is is very familiar. So this, for those who don't know, is a uh, Vertigo comic book from. Uh, DC Comics Vertigo imprint and it was a, uh, a great series uh, by Brian Vaughn and Pia Guerra who worked on this uh, a number of years ago it's been over for over probably almost a, almost a decade now uh, the premise is that there is a pandemic but the pandemic strikes suddenly swiftly and kills every male of every species on earth except for one man and his monkey. Right. And, and so the, the big the monkey's sort of, male too? He yeah. is. Ampersand right. the monkey. And it's uh it's it's a really interesting story that sort of explores, you know, what would the world be like when he himself is one of the most valuable commodities on the planet, as well as trying to figure out why he, this one person and his monkey, have survived. Right, right. And, you know, just sort of a really interesting, good-looking cast. It, again, really interesting feel to it. I like FX uh, as, a, as a production. Um, you know, I, I like that they do some of these more mature stories, you know, Legion and, and uh, yeah. you know, some of those things. So I, I'm really curious to see what they do with this, and I hope that uh, that it has some of those same feels that the the series does because i really really enjoyed that series a lot and I, I think this could be a good property if people latch on to it I, I was disappointed by amc's preacher series not in the quality of the show but that they rushed it they first it was too slow then it was too fast and then it was gone so i i hope that we we actually get multiple seasons they let this story play out the way that it needs to that it that it has you know a nice run and it isn't just wham bam and thank you but but the trailer looks good and i hope it's i hope it's uh here for a few years in our lives hmm. cool all righty if you enjoyed idris elva in his role on the suicide squad you'll be very excited to know that he's going to be voicing the character knuckles in the sonic the hedgehog sequel hmm. so we've got the teaser there which is uh just the uh the begloved spiked fist of uh, the character Knuckles that uh, was tweeted out by Mr. Elba himself. Yeah, kind of a kind of an interesting choice there <laughs> to have that uh, that sort of actor for that. But uh, I bet it's fun for him. I I for found sure. myself during the NBA playoffs. They were playing a, a commercial over and over again, where he was doing a voiceover talking about how how amazing the NBA playoffs are and how majestic basketball is. And I remember thinking to myself, well, one, you're British, so it's kind of weird, and also. How did you convince Idris Elba to like what? Why him for this? And then I heard this news, and I was like, "Oh, he just wants money." Okay, all right, that makes much more sense. <laughs> so he saw what Nicolas Cage was doing. He's like, "Bro, let me get in on that." He didn't get the James Bond, right? So, 
I, again, I, when I think of him, I'm like, okay, The Wire, Luther, yeah. you know, some of his movie roles. You know, he's he's an amazing actor and he's an incredibly good looking dude. And I keep thinking like, yeah. you know, I, I have him sort of, you know, in a, in, a, in a tier of esteem. And then he makes some of these choices and I'm like, huh, okay. Maybe it's his manager. Again, or, you know, again, I don't know anything about him personally. Maybe he's got some, you know, ex-wives to pay or children to support or I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is interesting when you see some of the decisions that, that actors seem to make, you know, or, or you wonder why, like, how do they, how do they pitch this? I mean, other than this is for money, but how do they pitch these stories to, to actors? Like, you know, they're always going on about, oh, I read the script and it was like just wonderful and whatever, but how do you position something like this to someone who, who in our opinion, maybe not in his own opinion, but in our opinion is, is sort of a, you know, a, uh, you know, a class actor, you know, like yeah. again, maybe he's got kids and he thinks it'll be fun and that they'll have a good time watching it. Well, but it seems yeah, to like, happen like too, Ant right? Antonio, Antonio Banderas and, and the Spy Kids, or whatever it was called. Yeah, and you know, again, yeah. we've obviously seen lots of actors transition from more, you know, adult roles to you know, sillier roles because you know they've yeah. got kids and they're like, oh, my kids couldn't right. watch my movies, but now they can see me be this character. Right, right. Yeah, cool. I was trying to think of there was somebody, uh, some actress watching on Graham Norton talking about, oh, uh, Ewan McGregor, <laughs> when he run he runs into some kids sometimes and he and he's like trying to convince them that he's Obi Wan Kenobi. No, really, I'm Obi Wan Kenobi. Like they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you sir are no Alec Guinness. Exactly. Exactly. Alrighty, well we're here we here we are at the part of the show where we start talking about Star Trek and this time it's we're season two, episode one of Lower Decks, Strange Energies, and Jaime is gonna take the recap lead here. We go. Yeah, so we start out in a uh, mysterious space station that is in an asteroid field with some Cardassian ships floating around. And inside is a is a Cardassian interrogating in some mariner. Uh who uh, the Cardassian interrogator uses something called a uh, excruciator to get Mariner to recap her relationship, both personal and working with her mother, and, and in a way, kind of recap season one of the Lower Decks. So, mm -hmm. uh, kind of an interesting way to do that. Yeah, pretty um, clever. But Mariner, being uh, being the beast that she is, uh, takes the interrogator hostage and, and blasts her way out uh, in a nice little action sequence. Uh, en route, she runs into... Uh, a good, a good autocorrect, not Boiler, Boimler, <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least the hologram version of which, uh, who's a, a captee, and she, she you know, uh, talks out loud about her emotional status about like, you know, I'm leaving you behind because that's exactly what Boimler did to me when he moved to the Titan, right? And he, he let my best friend let me alone. And he drops a line, they're showing, they keep showing me lights. Yeah, that was yeah. Good. <laughs> there were notably lights in that interrogation room that are definitely from yeah. uh, from that episode of TNG, uh, where Captain mm -hmm. Picard is is uh, captured and interrogated by the Cardassians. Right. Uh, so this action action sequence uh, ends up uh, again. The Cardassian is still hostage. The interrogator is still hostage. So Mariner makes her way to a Miranda class vessel, which the interwebs tells me is the uh, USS McDuff. NCC-1877. Uh, ships get blown up real good during this escape from what appears to be like a museum or junkyard kind of thing. There's all sorts of little tidbits. I probably have to pause this and go back and see. There's like a runabout. I think there's 
Um, I think there might be a Ferengi Marauder in there. There's just like a ton of cool stuff in the background there. Uh, and this kicks into an epic, epic chase sequence during the escape, which is interrupted by an Andorian named Jennifer, who uh, it reveals this is all taking place on the holodeck. This is not a real mission. Um, and uh, there, there seems to be a bit of, um, you know, no love lost between Jennifer and, and Mariner. So something to keep a watch on for the rest of the season. Uh, well, I like the, best... the line about, uh, you know, what are you doing? Cardio. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which leads what do into you do? what do you do? Um, yoga, <laughs> right? Right. Not space yoga, not uh, Andorian yoga, Vulcan yoga. No, nothing. Uh, just regular, plain old, uh, plain old yoga. Um, Mariners, you know, apparently has been using this as a uh, an exercise mechanism, and she starts doing squats on the. Uh, on the bridge <laughs> and the Cardassian character is like, are you squatting? We're going to die. And she's like, it's leg day. So, <laughs> you know, head, head to, uh, head to title sequence, which I noticed has been redone a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure there's somebody mm-hmm. who's done side by side, but I'm like, Oh, there's like the graphics are a little bit different. There's, um, some sort of different ship went during the sequence where the, um, the Borg and the Romulans are fighting. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure somebody somewhere has a, a scene by scene comparison, but, Kudos to the folks for, for redoing that. We come back from the title sequence. Captain Freeman has a personal log that updates us on what's going on. The USS Cerritos is finishing up its contact duties on the planet Apergos. Or Apergos? I forgot how they pronounce it. And, it Apergos. Uh, Apergos? Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Captain Freeman is telling us in the log that her daughter has another side mission request, which is just getting on her nerves. is getting very annoying uh, having to work with the Ensign Mariner. Uh, Mariner turns out wants to power wash the the capital there to inspire folks to do it themselves because they they let it get all dirty during their industrial revolution. Hmm. Um, we also learn that Commander Ransom is awkwardly in the room, clearly not getting any love and attention during this <laughs> weird sequence between the captain and uh, and Mariner. Uh, and so Mariner does end up going to see the remaining lower deckers who are still in the Cerritos. Uh, Rutherford, we find out, has a date, and Tendi has um feelings about that uh, i think very obvious uh, boiling to the top feelings but this becomes the b plot in this in this episode uh, on the surface tendy seems concerned about rutherford liking things he didn't like before uh, he got his new implant such as as pears folks who may not remember in a very epic sequence security officer shacks had like you know ripped the um the cybernetic implant right out of rutherford's head and he used it to to save mm. the day before he Pushed him, uh, pushed Rutherford. It is uh, out into uh, into the, the the shuttle to escape the exploding uh, packled ship. That's what this is being uh, talking about, right? So, in any case, Tendi's concerned about this this new cybernetic implant. It seems like it's changed Rutherford, and she says, like, "Oh, he might have SMD, synthetic memory degradation, where his brains are going to liquefy and slide out of his nose." <laughs> uh, we go back to Apergos where. Captain Ransom is trying to help them, you know, choose their official comms number that Starfleet can communicate to them with. And they are just very picky about it due to their deep relationship with numbers. Mariner sasses and disobeys Commander Ransom. Uh, she's like, I don't have to listen to you. I'm on a special mission. Captain's orders, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know this character's rank, but uh, Mr. Stevens just kisses butt all over on, on Ransom. This is what got up again in the episode. 
you know, so Mariner starts cleaning the building uh, where a nice fresco appears. And uh, oh, also there's a strange device seemingly powered by the sun, which has, you know, now able to interact with the device, given that it no longer is covered in eons of soot. Sci-fi stuff, quote, uh, starts happening uh, due to the strange energies and ransom is hit as is normal to happen in, in Star Trek. So here we get uh, the, the cat doctor, Dr. Tana, uh, beams down to give quite literally the diagnosis of strange energy straight to the cortex. And name right. drops, is this a Gary Mitchell situation, which I yeah. sort of vaguely knew, but I'm not quite as familiar with that character. Do, do we want to take a little sidebar for something that's better? Very first, uh, oh, episode, first episode. Very first episode of, of the show, of the, the original series, is, um, I mean, the, you know, the, the pilot, which was the cage, became the cage. The first episode, Gary Mitchell gets uh, exposed by um, some sort of radiation, becomes like godlike, and uh, they end up having to leave him on a planet. And I think he takes his girlfriend, who was, um, I forgot her name, but she was the lady from who played Hot Lips Houlihan on MASH, uh, the movie. Um, she, he, They both end up becoming godlike, and, and they have to leave them on the planet for some reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's still on that planet. No, no, the, the, that's a different one. The, the, in this yeah. one, he, he dies at the end of that episode. Remember, right, he digs okay. a, he digs a grave for Kirk. He's going to kill him at the end of that episode, and then uh, Kirk turns the tables on him, and uh, basically a landslide. He, he ends up in the in the pit, and then a landslide crushes him to death. Mm. That's that's how but the episode like, but ends. But like the Emperor, like you know what I mean? Like is he really? He's a godlike guy, right? So I, I guess he's a be a fly but one. Yeah, but... it's a throwback to the very first episode of Star Trek. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was called Where yeah. No Man Has Gone Before. That was the first right. the first real official Star Trek episode. And that was um, the guy from uh, um, I have his autograph on my wall over here. Um, from he was the guy who played the second uh, astronaut on Two Thousand One: Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. What's his name now? Yeah, Gary Lockwood played uh, played. Um, Gary Mitchell. Carry on. All right. With that in context, because that will become important later in the episode, uh, Commander Ransom starts going godlike by hovering, creating creepy weather phenomenon, reading minds, and uh, shooting rainbow beams out of his hands. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But apparently staying a god requires using telekinesis to pump iron by, like, telekinetically lifting up trees and boulders and stuff. Um, yeah, I love that they kept him in character as the kind of douchey commander that we've come to know who's like, you know, focused on his body and everything else, even though he's godlike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Admiral Freeman, uh, Ensign Mariner's father, sends a communique to Captain Freeman. Uh, and the Admiral says that there, uh, there could be a promotion for Captain Freeman to a capital ship if the captain keeps a clean record. This is, of course, just as everything is going south on this mission. So um, there's a bit of, of pressure there to resolve the situation ASAP. Meanwhile, uh, Tendi is doing some shock therapy to Rutherford to figure out, like, you know, does he still like pears? Is this SMD situation still a problem? Rutherford's like, dude, I'm, I'm just going to stop this. This is insane. Like, I'm, I'm totally fine. Uh, and he leaves to go on his date with um, uh, the character Barnes. And this is where uh, Tendi pulls out what I think is best described as a medical shotgun. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe this. It's a it's a sci-fi battle battle rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we go back to the. Pl- it's made from tricorders and stuff, right? Like they all they all snap together like a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gun, yeah. <laughs> uh, so back on the planet, Commander Ransom Thanos snaps the moon, making it not exist anymore. 
transmogrifies a museum into this weird twisted sculpture and turns the the planet's um peoples into a race of ransomites so everybody has his face (laughs) just walking around so funny they all look like him i will make ransomites So there's a disagreement between uh, Captain Freeman and Ensign Mariner about like how should they resolve this? Should they should they calm Ransom down by by blasting him? Uh, somewhere along here, uh, Stevens bows before Ransom. He's 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 all on board in this new religion, and they ask like how did they deal with Gary Mitchell? And the Doctor says, "Well, Kirk smooshed him with a boulder." Which yeah, that's pretty right. <laughs> I guess is the recap of that episode. Um, continuing along, Ransom becomes a giant godlike head um and then we switch scenes over to to rutherford on his date and we learned that uh didn't catch her in her rank i don't know if she's ensign or lieutenant but uh lady barnes there uh apparently has an older sister who got uh, a symbiont because i think she's she's trill uh, and they talk about how they you know changed personalities by always bringing it up as i guess you, you might lord over your your sisters as you wanted to do barnes uh wants to go on, on a swimsuit date with, with others, uh, including Rutherford, but uh, Tendi comes in with the medical shotgun and the hypo sprays with medical venom, just trying to, to latch on to, to Rutherford to supposedly save him from his, his SMT situation. Meanwhile, uh, Ransom's giant head is approaching the Cerritos while his body, his disconnected body, is creating a gym utopia on the planet where everything is turning into, <laughs> you know, gym equipment, weights and um, uh, uh, treadmills and etc. And they, they talk about, like, well, what if they try overloading him by boosting his powers? And it turns out, nope, the phasers are just making him more powerful, as he literally states. And then they say, all right, well, let's try reasoning with him. And it turns out that Ransom and a callback to the earlier scene in the episode is, is jealous because he used to be number one with the captain. And then Mariner took that spot purely because she's the captain's daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back over to the B plot. Uh, Rutherford is, you know, running away from Tendi and ends up cornered in a, in a corridor, sets up an emergency force field to save himself from Tendi. And also, meanwhile, we see Ransom's head biting the warp nacelle as seen through the window here. He's just like, chewing on it like a dog on a bone and here we have a, a real heartwarming scene where you know tendy admits that smd isn't real for rutherford right and we sort of cross switch between these two uh rapid fire things of like you know freeman and mariner admitting that they don't you know like working with each other it's getting on their nerves uh ransom grows a cloud and starts biting the saucer section itself (laughs) (laughs) Um, the 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 front view where you just see his giant mouth coming in was hilarious yeah yeah and it's like biting like a like a turtle or an eggshell right because they've got the shields on so he's not biting the saucer section quite directly Mm. so that was kind of cool um meanwhile uh tendy admits she was afraid that rutherford had changed so much with his new implant and that you know, maybe he would stop liking her. And Rutherford is like, I'm totally okay with that. You're tackling an emotional problem with scientific experimentation. That's what I'm really into, <laughs> right? Hmm. Um, things get worse outside the ship as Ransom grows hands and gr- physically grabs the Cerritos. Um, and they try something different, you know, seeming that he just wants validation. The captain gives validation to Ransom and it starts diminishing his power. So just a note too that that while while Tendi and and Rutherford are having this B plot, 
thing out the windows, you can still see Ransom attacking the ship. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah they they yeah. didn't even notice it's happening. Yeah, they didn't even notice. Yeah, like typical situation comedy where where characters are, are oblivious to what's really going on, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's just another day in Starfleet, right? Yeah. That's, that's just that's just Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so so Captain Freeman starts using weird or random affirmations, and Mariner's like, "Look, you, you can't keep praising him forever. That's not going to work." Um, it turns out that Ransom wants you know the captain's chair. He's, he's feeling that, and the ego, his power, starts resuming, and the, the doom is coming. But it suddenly stops, and it turns out that the reason it stops is because kicking him repeatedly in the groin was the answer. And this is what what Mariner uses as the uh, the, uh, the 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 Kirk maneuver equivalent. Um, yeah, she kicked him in the boulders. It, yes, <laughs> quite repeatedly until he calms down and he, you know, he tastes the rainbow as he spits out some some rainbow uh, colored uh, uh, liquid. But then his eyes start glowing again, so the kicking continues while Doctor Tana <laughs> forklifts a boulder onto Ransom to uh, to bring an end to the problem. Just a, a space forklift with a huge boulder <laughs> she just drops on him, and then we we see Ransom recovering in sick bay. And the uh, the sycophant Stevens reads him a story, hmm. and we have uh, Captain Freeman and, and Ensign Mariner talk about you know working apart and only doing some side missions. Um, and oh, there's a security team ready to take me to the brig, isn't there? I love you. Never disobey me again. I do whatever I want. As the uh, captain and, and daughter zing each other, and she gets dragged away too. Yeah, the, the the security team is is ready uh, taking her away. And so we do see um, Mariner in the brig, and she's visited by Rutherford and Tendy, who said that uh, they actually did revert one of Rutherford's synaptic pathways. So he's no longer, you know, he never likes pears, and he's got the great uh, profanity quote that I'm sure somebody's going to use in the future. Uh, and then they start thinking about, like, you know, think of all the fun adventures that Boimler is having on the USS Titan. Smash cut to Boimler screaming on the bridge of the USS Titan <laughs> as the ship is chased by a bunch of packled ships. That doesn't seem to, to phase Captain Riker, who says, uh, this jam session has too many licks and not enough comp. And both I and Boimler screen, what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> this, this statement here. And they go into an anomaly, a space anomaly, Star Trek anomaly, to avoid the packlids and... Riker says, I love my job as reality starts to warp and bend the bridge crew. The end of the episode. Yeah, back with a bang. What a great, what a funny episode. I just picked mm -hmm. right up where they left off. Obviously, you know, they haven't resolved everything in this episode, but they definitely picked up some of the threads and wrapped up a couple of the storylines that carried over. But God, I love this show. I, I just love it. It makes me laugh out loud. It, it, it's It's a perfect balance between being earnest and just you know super super funny i i just i can't get enough of it i love this show yeah and all the, the sort of the drops the you know easter egg drops for all the you know the fans the five lights you know different things going on like the throwback to the first episode of png yeah but even at yeah. the end there they make a reference to uh, nightingale woman right that's the that's the poem that uh, that uh, gary uh, mitchell uh, quotes in that episode like it's just it's just deep cuts after deep cuts but it's funny mm -hmm. and it works on a very superficial level you could just watch it and it's funny or if you're way into track it is just an absolute cornucopia of of in jokes and and you know silliness indeed good show are we talking about um 
Bad Batch a bit? Yeah. So, yeah, and this is the last episode that we just watched, right? The Yeah, so season one is over. So it's, I think it was 16 episodes all in. Jaime, did you watch mm-hmm. it week by week? I did. I did watch it week by week. And for me, um, I haven't watched the latest seasons of Clone Wars and um, haven't watched any of Rebels. And yet I was able to get the gist pretty well. I'm like, all right, cool. There's these, these special clones, uh, you know, Hunter, Tech. Uh, what is it? Crosshair and um, Wrecker, uh, joined by a, 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 I think a Reg who got injured in some way in the form of Echo because he's yeah kind of his storyline plays out in in Clone Wars. He was uh, yeah he was basically at one point captured and and uh, and sort of modified by the uh, by the uh, Separatists. Yeah, so hmm. I, I think they did a good job of like if you know the backstory, it fills things in um, uh, more. But I don't think it was strictly necessary. So I came in not knowing much of anything about the Bad Batch and and fully enjoyed uh, this season. Yeah, I think in this case, you almost all you really need to have done is seen Revenge of the Sith and, and watched the, the sort of prequel trilogy. It certainly there is lots of stuff in there for fans of Clone Wars and for fans of Rebels and, you know, uh, and everything that you get out of those ones. But you're right. I think as long as you know, okay, so the war is over, the the bad guys won, uh, the Jedi are gone, you're pretty much there. And you're right. Like, they, you know, there is a sort of Bad Batch arc in the final season on Disney Plus of, of Clone Wars that introduces the characters more thoroughly and everything else. But you you don't have to. You don't have to. You could certainly just jump right into it. I am glad, though. I mean, uh, we talked about it on our previous episode. I was in the middle of a, a Clone Wars rewatch. So I had watched the first, I think, five seasons, but I'd never watched uh, the, the last two. And so I watched from the beginning again straight through and then jumped right into Bad Batch and then finished uh, finished up all my rewatch watching the last sort of two episodes in real time of Bad Batch. And, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it there's definitely a lot of glue there's a lot of different pieces uh that if you have consumed all that material it's it's certainly adds some layers to it but it's just a good show on all its levels how about you tim what did you think no i enjoyed it i mean and again like jaime i haven't finished watching all of clone wars or or even the last season um i do recall these guys from as i mentioned before the one of the first episodes of the series, they replay or or they go back through a uh, simulation, battle simulation that they they went through in the very first one when they were the Bad Batch, and in because um, they were sort of like the the five guys that were not going to graduate or something like that. Yeah, that's phone. actually that's a different group. It's actually is it? that, that, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that is a different bunch of. They were more sort of like less perfect. Uh, batch, less than perfect batch that needed yes, to learn some yeah, lessons. Yeah, that, well, the bad the batch specifically, they actually introduce at the beginning of season seven of of oh, the Clone okay, Wars, okay. and they they sort of come in. They're they're Squad ninety nine. They're already established. They're these sort of you know custom clones that they made. Each one of them has a special skill. They were trying to sort of you know see if they could mess with the DNA of the of the original host a little bit and see if they could tweak and hyper-accelerate some of these these traits. So Hunter's the tracker, obviously. They've got, you know, Wrecker's this big, huge, burly version of the, of the clone. Crosshair's got, you know, this, this sure-shot sniper ability. Tech's got, you know, this, this 
increased intelligence, and then they added in Echo as part of a storyline in Clone Wars as well, uh, because he was he was actually part of um, Rex's crew at one point, but then he uh, got lost and then later on rescued, and it changed his abilities, and he felt more comfortable with the with this group than he did with the sort of traditional. Uh, you know, regiment. So he joins up with the Bad Batch and sort of becomes the fifth, the fifth beetle there. Right. It's interesting too that I'm just looking at the IMDb that the the voice of the Bad Batch characters is similar to Clone Wars, was all played by the same actor. Yeah, D. Bradley Baker. This is yeah. He he does the voice for all of these characters, and they're very distinct in terms of mm-hmm. temperament and character and voice, mm-hmm. especially like uh, Wrecker, right? Because Wrecker has sort of a like you said, he's, he seems to be a little damaged in a sense, right? So, Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting how he does them all differently, considering it's still the root of he the same person. He also does Crosshair, too, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, all of them, yeah. And the, and the regulation clones and Rex. There's actually the one episode where Rex crosses over with them where you're like, damn, Deep Bradley Breaker's doing like, you know, eight voices in this episode. So does he do the voices in the Clone Wars series? He is the well? voice of every single clone in the Clone Wars oh, cartoon. Oh, interesting. And cool. he, not to spoil too much, but he does do some voices in um, in Rebels as well. Right. So it's interesting, too, the, the Omega character. She's sort of the super clone. Um, she was actually, uh, they reveal in the final episode that she's actually older than the, the other clones, um, even though she looks like a young kid, right? Yep. Um, but she's a pure clone like, like Boba. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, is that yeah, I mean she's not been modified, right? Um, but interesting that they chose sort of an Australian accent for her, or is that? Just I think the she's actress? a Kiwi, actually. I think she's New Zealander. Kiwi? Yeah. Well, yeah, but but it, you know what I mean, like from from down there, right? Because yeah, she calls herself Omega. Omega, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's bad bitch, right? Bad anyway, bitch. um, and, and all around good show. I mean, like you know, not super duper, but like like compelling enough to keep you going, and you know, like it, it's Star Wars is enough to to. You know that that it's compelling and yeah, and uh, in mid season too. Like obviously the the overarching arc is ties into Star Wars writ large in a lot of different ways. You know the the whole sort of you know well why but why by the time we get to Return of the or by the the New Hope are the soldiers you know uh, soldiers and not clones. So this is obviously getting us into that area, which is kind of cool. Well, and and how they what they how they deal with you know how how come they can't make any more clones? I won't. You know, spoil it for people, or or don't, yeah, yeah. and and obviously, you know, it, it does sort of segue into you know the sort of mission of the week storyline a little bit there, where they're like, well, how are we going to live? They go in and they start doing the the missions, where you know they they go to Orbantel. Orbantel is kind of a cool little callback too, because that's uh, a place that's mentioned in Empire Strikes Back. Han Solo mentions it when he's arguing with um, Leia in the ice tunnels. He he says the bounty hunter we ran into in Orbantel. And then there's actually there was a there was an uh, like a audio adventure for Star Wars that came out in between there that I got when I was a kid. I actually still have it on cassette. That is called Rescue Mission to Orbantel, and it's about this storyline where they have to go and do this mission where they're going to steal a bunch of credits because they need to help fund the rebellion and stuff. So it's a it's a nice callback, deep cut kind of uh, Star Wars thing. But um, they end up on this planet, and they end up doing sort of all these sort of mercenary missions uh, for the character who's played by Rhea Perlman, Perlman from Cheers, which yeah, made me Sid, laugh. Yeah. The voice is so yeah. funny, and it's so immediately, mm-hmm. as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, it's Rhea Perlman. That's awesome. 
Um, but yeah, cool, cool stuff going on there. And obviously, you know, uh, Omega sort of, you know, learning from them and growing in confidence, her connections to all the different characters, you know, the Mantel mix every time they win a mission, she and Rucker go out and run up a tab buying Mantel mix. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun sort of works on a lot of layers kind of different thing. But it also, uh, you know, one thing that, that sort of occurred to me is as we sort of got to the end of the first season, and obviously we've, we've talked a little bit about it already, but we'll, we'll sort of says, hey, spoilers, 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 but um, I wonder timeline-wise where how this is this might align or set the stage in a few different ways for what we're seeing in The Mandalorian, which we know happens a few years later, but we also know, you know, some of the, some of the circumstances overlap, you know, there's this whole storyline where, you know, the Kaminoans are aware of the fact that the, you know their relationship with the new empire is is degrading they're trying to sort of you know figure out their own path and um in the end the empire ends up basically you know uh kidnapping uh Tan Wei who is the the lead cloning scientist you know the best mm-hmm. cloner in the galaxy and they bring her uh back and sort of say well you know we got a special job for you uh and the, the person who she interacts with, the, the, the scientist that she interacts with, uh, is dressed just like the character from the first season of The Mandalorian, the character who is, you know, obviously a cloner too. And so I wonder if we're sort of all building towards setting more clarity around what happened uh, in the cloning of, you know, uh, of Palpatine and, you know, uh, his sort of plan B, you know, story so we, we get a better understanding of what happened to him at the end of his theoretical life at, at Return of the Jedi and why he's back by the time we get to uh, Revenge of the whatever the hell that last one was called, Skywalker or something <laughs> or other. Um, I, I think there's a lot of threads being being woven together here and, and it's it's interesting because again it's a time period we don't know a heck of a lot of uh, stuff about um, it does you know so this is happening sort of you know right after Revenge of the Sith Mandalorian is mm-hmm. happening about five years after and uh, and then we know Rebels happens uh, before so it'll be interesting to see how all these different things sort of intersect you know you know the Clone Wars stuff the Mandalorian stuff we're going to get this uh, you know I wonder if we're if we're weaving together a, a real you know more cohesive understanding of of the movies by 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 telling these backstories I will say I, I finish watching my rewatch, and I do recommend to both of you go back it, when you get the time and watch those last, particularly those last few, but the whole thing of Clone Wars. There's certainly some, you know, Jar Jar nonsense and other episodes yeah. that are just sort of whatever. Yeah. But especially mm-hmm. as you get into those last few, you know, uh, you know, there's some real like mythology building things in there uh, to do with you know Yoda and Obi Wan and uh, you know Qui Gon and Ahsoka and mm-hmm. and you know, it also it adds a real layer of of um, intensity and sadness to the story of Anakin too, because you sort of see more and more of him. He he's a much more fully realized character than we ever get in the movies, right? And yeah. so his his choices and his downfall is just that much more painful, especially because you're seeing it through Yoda's eyes and Obi Wan's eyes and Ahsoka's eyes, and you know you don't get that in the movies. But uh, but yeah, the way that they're tying all these properties together and, and inter interlacing them and stuff is, is I think 
it's it, just in the same way we talked about the Mandalorian. It, it's kind of a better medium than than a two hour movie sometimes. Yeah, they've got some some room to breathe. Um, I think you're right. Tonally, the the Bad Batch does seem to follow the Clone Wars, where there is um, sort of normal action stuff. There's Jar Jar Binks esque kind of stuff. Yay, kids! And then there's like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is <laughs> so dark. The the last couple episodes of the season are very dark. Very dark. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like the way they tie the, the last season or last episode, last two episodes together without sort of doing doing a to be continued kind of deal. Like they kind of let end on a cliffhanger on on the second last episode, and then this one just picks right up. Yeah, mm-hmm, it, it, it almost comes back to what we talked about. I think on our last episode, where um, you know some of these things. They've chosen to release them week out, week over week, as opposed to you know in one big yeah. drop. But I wonder if you watch them in in one big go, particularly you know those last few episodes. I think there'll be a really interesting flow to them. Really, like I think they'll they'll the story will play out much differently. So, did you say you didn't watch What If yet? I know, I haven't watched it. You've not watched it? Go ahead. No, no, we won't won't get too far into it. I just broadly say I enjoyed the first episode and. they did not overtly reference the events of Loki, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this story sort of plays out over the course of, of a season. Jaime, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think I also got vibes that it it feels like the whole, what are we in, phase four now? Yeah. Four? Yeah, phase yep. four is going to play into that, that multiverse of madness, the Doctor Strange movie. Um, mm-hmm. the, the series, uh, the various series have, have played into it, uh, some to more degree than others. And it, it feels like the, the what if, besides being a fun way to show, you know, cool comic book stuff, like the old comic stuff of like, oh, you know, what if uh, Captain Carter, I don't know why she was Captain Carter, not Captain Britain. Like, I know there is a Captain Britain character. Yeah, I think that they might be saving that one for later. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only rationale I can have. Um Maybe they'll do like a, a Captain Canada, which I Googled. There is no Captain Canada, but there, no, there could be. No, Captain Canada. We have, we have Guardian <laughs> or we have Captain Canuck, but that's not even a Marvel character. Right, right. Um, and it, it, seems, it seems fun. It seems pretty well done. Uh, it seems like they got a lot of actual voices. Uh, and not voice actors pretending, but like the actual actors uh, doing their yeah, own voices. Every single, every single actor came back and did their voices, except for two. The only two voices that are that are somebody else. Chris Evans didn't come back to play Captain America, and Hugo Weaving didn't come back to play the Red Skull. They used uh, Russ Marquand again. He's the one who did it for um, for Endgame. So it's sort of a return for that one, but it's not from like the same time period. It's it's obviously not Hugo Weaving, but um, but yeah, I mean Sebastian Stan is there, obviously uh, Haley Atwell is the star again, and uh, they even brought back just for like a f- you know a couple of seconds they brought back um, uh, Stanley Tucci to be the the voice of uh, of the the doctor who gives uh, gives the, the powers too. It's it's interesting that they you know what they've been able to do, and it, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the season if they're going to just keep bringing back all these you know famous voices you know are they going to get michael b jordan are they going to get robert downey jr you know who, how many different people are really going to be that versus i mean looks obviously chris evans didn't participate here i wonder if he might be in something else or or not just because he may have been doing something else but yeah um and i guess kudos for an, an art design choice uh, this is a non-spoiler because i mean you you know that that agent carter becomes uh captain carter I was impressed that they gave her a, a more Amazonian type body mm-hmm. after it wasn't just like, Oh, it's the same, you know, small woman character model, but now she's super strong. It's like, no, this is a fighter, right? Mm-hmm. This is somebody who is, 
like uh, Steve Rogers became really jacked after um, after getting the, the well, that's the whole idea, right? Like uh, she gets jacked instead of him, sort of. Thing. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't mean uh, just like the the story themes. I mean the actual art design, where it hmm. it's pretty typical. Like, let's take a little segue into like Disney princesses, right? Where like yeah. the the female characters have to stay on model and pretty. And the male characters, no matter how attractive they are, can get the weird, ugly, gross, um, uh, Shrek-like face. But the mm-hmm. ladies always have to stay, you know, staying pretty. That's not the case here. There's like, look, whatever your feelings are, like, she can still be attractive as a woman, but she is a powerful, mm-hmm. like, bodybuilder-type woman now, which is, is unusual for, for art design choices. I did think it was kind of odd, though, and I, this may be going a little too deep into into this, but I did find it odd, though, that she she comes out with this, you know, again, huge set of shoulders, strong arms. She's, you know, as you say, Amazonian. She still has Haley Atwell's chest. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's she's a you know Haley Atwell's. A, I mean, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman, but she's also she's very large chested too. And I thought it was just interesting oh, that I it see. wasn't like they gave mm-hmm. her a bodybuilder's stereotypical bodybuilding woman's physique, which is to say more muscular in the chest and less obviously uh, uh, chesty. Mm-hmm. Bosom, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that was the only one where I was a little quibble, where I'm like, eh, if she was that like muscular, I'm not sure that she would have as much of a. a, a chest yeah, that's true but um i did I, you mentioned it jaime that I, the animation i thought was an interesting choice like it's you know it's somewhat realistic you know the i thought the the action sequences and in you know the facial expressions I, I i really i thought it was an interesting style choice to do it this way it's it's sort of cartoony but it's almost like don bluth it's almost like uh like um space ace or or, or dragon's lair or or something like it's kind of got this sort of you know shaded um feel to it but very emotive faces and 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 very fluid action yeah they've got the the cell shading that gives them that that 2d animated look but actual 3d models Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's 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 pretty it's pretty interesting i I definitely think folks should should check it out i think they're going to keep the consistent look and feel for all the episodes from what i can tell yeah it seems from the trailer that's what they're going for but yeah i think it's uh i think it's off to a good start again it's it was certainly a compelling story, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of substance or carrying the plot forward after, especially after the sort of end of, of Loki. It didn't feel like this one sort of picks the ball up and runs with it as much, uh, except in that, obviously, the Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher character at the beginning and the end, sort of talking about infinite possibilities, infinite universes and stuff. But yeah, it, uh, even, if it, even if all it is is this... I think it's really worth watching. Uh, but I wonder, as the season plays out, if we'll see more substance being added to it, too. More, more moving the, the goal, moving the, the ball down the field. Cool. Sounds like there's a party going on there, John. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, uh, I think supper is being prepared. It's uh, almost six o'clock our time here, and it, uh, oh, it's seems, true, yeah. it seems like so the, we'll, uh, let's bang through the, uh, let's bang through the watch list then, shall we? Yeah. All right. So since you were up first, yeah, so uh, last year, or if you'll recall, around the holiday season, we got our uh, little homage to the Star Wars holiday special. We got the Lego Star Wars holiday special. Uh, not not quite as tragically bad as the previous one. This year, they're, they're jumping the gun. They're not doing another holiday special. They're going to do the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales coming on October 1st on Disney+. And this is going to be a, sort of a, a, you know, a fun... I'm 
sure kid-friendly Lego Star Wars adventure set around sort of a spooky Halloween-y kind of theme. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to see as I, I, I've always enjoyed the Lego Star Wars, both the games and, and the animated versions. And it'll be interesting to see what they uh, do to sort of add a little spookiness to the, to the Star Wars uh, mythos. And then we have... And then we have me again. Yeah, so this one, just it just caught my eye and, again, appealed to me as a Trek fan and, and for our Trek podcast. So Playmobil, the popular uh, kids' toys, have been adding licensed products to their materials for a little while now you know they've done a, a back to the future they've done a ghostbusters uh, and there's probably many more that i haven't seen but uh, the other day the one that caught my eye is we we're getting a playmobile uss enterprise with bridge crew and uh and it looks pretty awesome it really does it looks cool it's you know you could take the the top of the saucer off and the bridge is there and the whole thing it's it lights up it's got you know special effects and stuff like that it looks i think it's gonna be pretty expensive um but it also comes with with you know these hooks that you can hang it from your ceiling and stuff like that and uh i you know again i, I grew up with playmobile playmobile is uh, is european and and uh as, that is my background and so playmobile was a big big toy for uh, my big brother and i to, to play with when we were kids and, and it was always you know it was knights and castles it was you know adventures and stuff like that it was never anything sort of licensed we kind of had to make up our own stuff on our own but man i'm telling you you know eight-year-old me would have been all over the playmobile USS Enterprise. That was that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this looks incredible, and not to scale, by the way. No, definitely no. not to scale. But it, the the thing that strikes me as I look at this uh, this slideshow on this website is no wonder Scotty drinks. The poor man is all by his lonesome in the engineering section, <laughs> while all the rest of the senior bridge crew gets to hang out and have fun. <laughs> he's on the lower deck, right? Yeah, he's he's the original lower decks guy. Yeah. But yeah, it uh, it's a really really cool cool playset. Again, I, I I it's funny though because it does. You think to yourself though, like clearly this is for a bit more of the collector market. Like, how many yeah. you know eight year olds now are like you know I want to play with Kirk and Spock and Scotty. Like n- none none zero is the answer. Yeah, of course it's got a USB port <laughs> for charging. Ooh, and it's got a hanging thing so you can hang it. Yeah, yeah the, the little hanger thing with the Enterprise uh, with the, the truck logo is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it definitely seems like something that uh, uh, a collector would want, right? Yeah, I mean, again, if you if you like me, if you grew up with that sort of you know with the Playmobil, and it, it's always fun to see the different interpretations. You know, you you see them adapted in all kinds of ways you're like oh there's kirk as a as a mego doll in the 1970s oh there's kirk as an action figure in the 1990s oh there's kirk as a as a um what are those things called the little uh uh oh god though it's the one up from seattle there Jaime. the ones that uh, funko funko pops funko pop right funko pops yeah you know you can get all those characters like that well you know you can see them as a lego character well now you can see them as a playmobil character you know it's, it's always fun to see the different iterations of these characters all right um what's next Jaime? you're up a few different ones one is a site called nestflix very similar to Netflix. This is apparently, and I linked the uh, the Verge article on this. This is a quote Netflix for fake movies and shows from real movies and shows. So if you're wondering what are we talking about, it's like, well, take a movie like um, Home Alone. You remember that? Keep the change, you filthy animal, uh, mobster yeah. kind of thing. That's angels with filthy souls, as shown in this uh, this um, database. Or how about 
uh, Goodwill Hunting 2, Hunting Season, from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Or, let's say, uh, History of the World Part 2, which was previewed in History of the World Part 1, the 1981 uh, Mel Brooks film. Hmm. So, kind of, a, kind of a neat little thing. Uh, it's it's kind of cool to, to peruse any comments, questions, concerns. That sounds fun. I am, I am on board. I'm going to check this one out for sure. Yeah, sadly, they don't seem to have links. I'm hoping this gets popular enough that they'll have uh, like YouTube links or clips or official media or something where you, you know, watch the scene sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this is a fun thing for the industry. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm always I, I love those little pieces of movies, those little what ifs and 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 you know takes of those things. It could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing I have is, uh, and I apologize, I don't know how uh, you all see this uh, other than theaters. I recommend the Suicide Squad, the sequel uh, done by. Uh, James we always go to the U.S. to watch it, eh, John? Oh wait, never mind. Well, you know, if things are open down here, you you and I will both be here as will number one fan next week. You know, just sure. saying. I want to see um, Fun Guy. What's it called? Oh, Free Guy. Free Guy. Free yeah, great. Yeah. Well, again, we'll be here together. Uh, you know, yeah. Thursday, Friday next week for a day or so. Yeah. So the Suicide Squad, without going into spoilers, is tonally more consistent, which is good because I think for folks who don't remember what happened to uh, the previous Suicide Squad movie, it was a much darker, grittier film. Uh, as DC is sort of doing in that era. They saw, ironically, the James Gunn-directed Guardians of the Galaxy and how that was goofy and fun and how that did so well. The studio freaks out, says, we need to recut this to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy. It ends up feeling sort of weird of like, it's super dark here, and then it's trying to be funny, haha. It doesn't fit together quite as well. This one, however, uh, is totally consistent. It is a, a... dark comedy i would say it it feels like the boys where it is don't get me wrong hyper violent like incredibly violent as a movie but it's presented in a humorous way um so use that as your guidance towards uh what to expect going in and and whether it's uh age appropriate for your particular uh wee ones so yeah even the first one i you know again my my sons are old enough now that i wouldn't worry about it but i wouldn't show it to anybody under the age of probably about 12 but this one yeah all the things that i've read have said the same thing as you jaime it's it's you know it's basically somebody taking the glove the disney the disney marvel gloves off james gunn right yeah and and i would say the the thing that is surprising to me is um uh the shark king character the 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 half man hat shark character king shark yeah yeah surprises me in that um a character that brutally murders people i have you know some serious strong emotional feelings about (laughs) it's 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 well done in that way and there there you go there there's your 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 review for the suicide squad and they've and they've confirmed confirmed online that um the um what we what we suspected going in that the voice of that is is Sylvester Stallone, right? Yes, who does um, a bit more work than Vin Diesel presumably had to do for Groot, which is uh, which is fun to have these uh, these action guys do the um, the weirdo characters. Does that mean Schwarzenegger's going to turn up at some point? I mean, you kind of need to, right, to to fulfill that trifecta. Yeah, I'm in. Different choice that is probably a little bit more um, streaming and, and pandemic friendly is uh, Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom. This is the uh, final miniseries as part of the overall War for Cybertron animated series on Netflix. Recommend checking it out, getting some closure on things. Um, 
since I knew that this was coming out and it was going to star some of the Transformers Beast Wars characters, I ended up rewatching all uh, 50-some episodes of the 1990s CGI animated uh, Beast Wars cartoon to, to get into it. I'll say I was a little disappointed they didn't bring back those voice actors for this one. Uh, it was oh, a little weird yeah, hearing different, different voices. Um, and I have a little bit of quibbles with some of the way they handled a little bit of the characters for the Beast Wars uh, folks. But it's still fun seeing the the Gen 1 Transformers, you know, really looks pretty good. Optimus Prime and the Beast Wars Optimus Primal together. Um, and similar to what I hopefully said about the previous two parts of the series, the, um, what was the first one called? Was it just called War for Cybertron? And then the next one was called Earthrise? Whatever. Netflix has them all collected for you. Um, I was pretty impressed how the villain uh, Gen 1 Megatron is actually pretty understandable. And I think you can, you can feel the emotions through him. You may not agree with uh, his worldview or how he uh, takes action, but I think you can agree with the, like, I understood how you got there thing. So that I'd like that they added a whole bunch of uh, background and flavor to the, um, I'm just going to kill you prime sort of and take over the world sort of, much more um, shallow characterization in from the 1984 series mm. is uh, much deeper here in, in this trilogy. So how does it work? Is it like, how did you enjoy it as a, as a trilogy? Uh, you know, it, it's been on my radar again, and it's something that I, I'm an old school uh, Transformers cartoon fan, and I, I like these wars as well. I, how does, how does this play out now that you've seen all these trilogies interlinked? It's kind of like having like three different movies, I think. So, if you haven't seen it before, it probably works even better just binging through because I sort of had to remember, you know, six months to a year in between each of these, mm. what was happening. And that, that hurt a little bit, but it, you still get the gist of what's going on. And um, without going too much into spoilers, it does seem like they could set up for another series here if they wanted to. So we'll, we'll see. Cool. All righty. Well, my, my picks are sort of off the beaten track in terms of... Um in terms of what they're about, uh, because I, you know, I, I did watch a few of the sci-fi stuff that we talked about last time, like the, the milkshake one and a rather interesting story, but, uh, that we talked about last episode, but, but the ones I want to talk about are, are a couple of things. One is on Disney plus and the other is on Apple TV plus and they're both music related, surprisingly. Um, the first one is called watch the sound and it's a new series on Apple TV plus and it goes through, it's, it's, it hosted by a guy, I can't remember his name, but, but, and I had no idea who he was until he, one of the episodes where he talks about Reverb. Apparently, he is the producer who worked with Amy Winehouse on her breakthrough record. Um, and he examines the use of different effects in, in music production. Like he talks about synthesizers in one, he talks about sampling in another, he talks about uh, Reverb, he talks about different effects and, and the drum machines and stuff like that that were used in hip-hop, and uh, he's a big hip-hop DJ kind of guy. Um, but he uh, what, he also talks to people like Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl and the Beastie Boys and a lot of rap artists, hip-hop artists, um, about, and the, the guy who made the Lynn drum machine, um, talks to all those folks about this stuff. And where it ties in is in the synthesizer episode, he, he covers how a lot of women were involved in early synthesizer work. Uh, synthesis of sound and one of the pioneers was a lady named Delia I've forgotten her last name but um, she is in fact works for the BBC and there's a famous BBC video of of them talking about synthesis it's black and white um, and she's the main 
person talking in the in this little documentary about how sound uh, is synthesized. And she, in fact, is the person who created the Doctor Who theme uh, using synthesizers. And actually, with like a very very rudimentary synthesizer, it wasn't like a Moog or, or anything like that. But starts with an oscillator, and she and she did the whole thing that the gentleman who wrote the song or wrote the piece gave it to her to to do she did it all up in in um in with synthesis and uh he came back and heard it after she did it and he goes did i write that and she says well most of it uh, and apparently she's quite famous and she's well known um like she comes up a lot when talking about synthesizers synthesizers um the other the other piece that i saw i think it's called mccartney one two three it's on disney plus it just sort of you know was, was like it showed up on my i guess you know i don't know in like Netflix, it kind of suggests shows that you might be interested in. And um, it's Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney talking about how uh, they produce the music. And they actually have the uh, tapes and Rick Rubin and McCartney go through how they built up uh, all the various songs by the Beatles and by uh, um, Wings and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting show. It's about six episodes long an hour long or 30 minutes long each and they dig quite in if you're a Beatle fan or a McCartney fan or just curious about how music is produced that's another great show to watch where they break it down and they talk about all the different ways that they they wrote the songs and the stories behind you know why they they wrote particular things and, and stuff like that so it's really interesting fascinating stuff to sort of dig in the sort of behind the scenes on how the Beatles uh, made their recordings and how amazing Paul McCartney is as a musician in general. So there you go. That's uh, my picks for this week. Cool. Anywho, um, I guess that's it for another week. So if people want to get in touch with you, Jonathan, how would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram is at JPK News. All right. And how many people, people want to get in touch with you? How would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. All righty. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me hanging out. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. next time for the first time we'll have two out of three of us in the same space doing a a pod next week same province same regional vicinity yeah Hmm. one day Jaime one day we're doing that live episode all three of us (laughs) not not infeasible given that um, you know pandemic comes to an end at some point I would like to get out to Toronto check things out so
Maybe maybe we'll go to Seattle for the Kraken opening. Ooh, hey, now you're talking. Man, I'm really hoping things (laughs) turn around for that sort of thing. But I'm kind of, I mean, if if hockey was ordinarily played in um, open stadiums instead of indoor arenas, it might be a little different. But being a little dodgy as we record right now as to what's going to happen in the winter month or the fall months. Yeah, well, they're just starting to open up music venues here in in Toronto. They're, I think the Arkells are doing a concert this weekend. Yeah, they're doing like a three night set. Uh, I saw some pictures, and it looked pretty close quarters. Is it is it like like people are packed in? Yeah, like normal. I, I uh, only saw I saw one picture that was posted that someone had taken from the side of the stage, and it didn't like there was an open like standing area in the front, like like yeah. most shows at at that venue. Again, it's an outdoor yeah. venue, so you know maybe they are qualified because it's an outdoor venue i you know obviously it's not happening maybe. you know inside of an arena with closed doors and everything Were people but in those pictures wearing masks or they're i did see naked. masks i did see a lot of masks I, I i suspect a lot of uh a lot of people will be continually cautious again i i have concert tickets for a show i think the first show we have is at the end of september obviously you know subject to change um it's a smaller venue and i expect that you know masks will probably be a good idea i do wonder though it's a, it's an interesting one that occurred to me is you know obviously some of these smaller venues that we go to you know and the bigger ones for sure you know it's not just about the the money it's about the uh money for the tickets but the money for the the revenue that you bring in for all the booze that you sell and everything else i I wonder if that um becomes an issue because they won't be able to sell you know a lot of people taking their masks off having drinks obviously when you drink you make less decisions sometimes so yeah it will be interesting Drink beer through a straw, you know. Yeah, yeah. like where, where's you <laughs> slide the straw under your mask, like. And how do you eat the pizza and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah exactly. so it's it's and, it, and the, it's definitely some stuff to be worked out. Again, I think you know, as far as choices go at this point, you know, the the, the one of the big concert venues here in in or here, there in Toronto, is that. Um, the amphitheater, which is down, it's right next to the lake shore. It's all, it's a sort of a windy space because it's right next to the lake and uh, air circulates in there pretty well. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're selling out, obviously, you know, uh, the full gamut of tickets. But I'd say as, as far as a concert venue right now, that's a pretty good one because it's, it's... But they're not, they're not spacing people out, though. That's the thing they're selling. I don't know if they're the spacing seats. people out in the seats, perhaps differently oh, than they are in that open area. Maybe they're selling less space in the open area. They're you know, normally if it fits for the sake of argument, a thousand people, maybe they're put selling only selling 500 spaces so that you can spread out a little more. But whether or not, obviously, they're enforcing whether or not you can be, you know, closer together or not. Again, it's it's a weird thing to be like, we're all at a concert. And it's like, well, I want to stand by the stage. Well, I also want to stand by the stage, but I don't want to stand next to you. Like, it's, it's a weird circumstance, right? Yeah, I think um, like the... I've got some tickets for concerts coming up too, and and uh, I've already had one cancel um, because the the artist doesn't want to come to Canada. Um, the the pair of them actually, they're quite they're 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 up there in terms of age, right? Seventies and things like that. But um, they're from the seventies and they're in their seventies. But um, they, but yeah, I'm a little nervous about like some of these shows, like uh, Genesis at Scotia uh, Bank, and you know. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of would hope that they would, they would space things out. But you know, I guess they gotta sell tickets, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see 
how they deal with it as they get closer and closer to being a real thing. Again, it's one thing to be in an outdoor venue. It's a different thing to be in a small indoor venue. And then it's a, another different thing on top of that to be in a... Uh, in a large, you know, crowd of, you know, typically at a in a large event at uh, at an arena in Toronto can be, you know, twenty thousand plus. Uh, I wonder. I wonder what they'll do. Who can say? Yep. All right, folks. I think we'll uh, should we wrap it up? Sounds like a plan. Okay. Yeah, you gotta go eat your. Dinner. The party started here, so it's Saturday it's night in Woodstock, now. New Brunswick, and the party is going. Gotten quiet there now. Yeah, I think everybody's stuffing their face now. All right. Yeah, that'd be better. They're all chomping, chomping away. Okay. All right, guys. Talk to you guys. Good to talk to you. We'll time. catch up again next week. Um, we're going to figure out sometime next week when we're going to do it, like Thursday or yeah. Friday or whatever. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Talk to you next week. Bye. Later. Yep. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.